A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. TalkSport's game day post-match podcast returns with me, Sam Matterface, TalkSport transfer guru and commentator Alex Crook and World Cup quarter-finalist and former Charlton and Ipswich skipper Matt Holland. Coming up after another Kepa calamity, is someone going to get frank with Arida Balaga? Chelsea's defence needs help, but you can't just mendy it, you need to fix it properly. Uh, with Everton and Liverpool near the top of the pile, the 1980s look back in fashion, which is bad news for Steve Bruce, who struggled with a flock of seagulls. Mourinho is going back in time too, as Bow bounds back into North London. Well limps or ambles actually he's not going to be fit for a month but he has already shot three under at Fairfield Heights whilst his teammates are taking a five at St Mary's Arsenal get fortunate against the Hammers Liverpool add from a position of strength and will Manchester United bring any more signings in the door Ollie says K Zaha Zaha whatever will be will be all on the podcast that is certainly more discreet than Patrice Evra it's the game day Premier League post-match pod from TalkSport here's what she said Hello, Matt Holland, pin-up boy from the 2000s. He's with me. Hello. How are we doing? Yeah, very good. Uh, and I'm also joined by TalkSport commentator Alex Crook, whose football pin-up was Andy Cole. And I have to say, uh, I'm a little bit surprised about how gaga Alex Crook goes whenever he's in the same room as Andy Cole. Now we all work in the same office on a Sunday. I don't think that's strictly true, but you were trying to lead us into a confrontation, mainly to deflect from the fact that Diflect Chelsea... Deflect or get- deflect? You're using the... You're getting, it's happening again. What's the matter? You're losing your... getting nervous. Oh, he's not here now. It's okay. Mainly to deflect from the fact that your team were getting a good beating against Liverpool, but I wasn't going to enter into your game. I've got a lot of respect for Andy Cole, but his opinion on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is wrong. <laughs> okay, very quickly, Matt, the highlight of your week... Uh, probably not selling Son from my fantasy league team. Well done. That would be right up there. Uh, Ipswich going top of League One. Wow. That's up there as well. Now, I think I think the amount of goals that we've seen in the Premier League this week, absolutely ridiculous. The Kane and Son combination. I think the fourth goal in particular, Kane's ball and Son's finish, outstanding. Crook, your highlights of the weekend? I'm particularly enjoying all the teams that have got six points from their first two games. I think there's about five of them. Therefore, there's five teams that are six points ahead of Manchester United. So I'm enjoying that. Now, there's been some good performances. I was at Arsenal to see them ground it out against West Ham. And I think they showed a a steal that hasn't always been there. Leicester were impressive. Everton was superb. And Liverpool proved that they're going to be the team that 
needs to be kept caught this season. I was particularly impressed with Crystal Palace and their game plan at Old Trafford on Saturday night when I was there. And I really liked the look of James Rodriguez and the combination with uh, Richarlison and Dominic Calvert-Lewin at Goodison Park on Saturday lunchtime as well. But the real highlight for me was the full-time whistle at Stamford Bridge. We had good chances, a couple of good chances and moments where you felt that we could really build on. It's an early, it's early for us, as I keep saying. But that will come, that will come. Today, you know, circumstances went against, them, get against us in pretty much all terms. Yes, I'm completely fine. This is the early um, this is start of the season. We all need results, we need results, we had to, and we know we are not perfect. By Wijnaldum, as the referee blows the whistle, there's a handshake from Klopp and Lampard. They embrace, but it's Liverpool who go with the points here. Two goals in the second half, in three second half minutes from Sadio Mane. The first header after a good ball in by Firmino. The second after a goalkeeping howler by Kepa. Nothing went right for Frank Lampard today. For his team, it really was the Blues. For Liverpool, well, they march on two wins out of two this season. It finished here, Chelsea nil, Liverpool 2. Oh, where to start? Shall we begin with the absolute match-changing situation, the moment the Danish football international Andreas Christensen decided that mounting Sadio Mane was a better idea than letting him go one-on-one with Kepa Aritha Balaga? Or shall we begin with the moment that Aritha Balaga, who clearly has Mane as skipper in his dream team and cashed in his triple captain chip, passes the ball to him eight yards from goal? What was worse, Matt Holland? Oh, what was worse? Um, probably the Kepa one. I'm not sure what's going through his mind, to be honest. I think his brain's scrambled at the moment. Uh, he's lacking confidence. He's clearly not the long-term goalkeeper for Chelsea. You know, they, I think during the game, didn't they They sign a goalkeeper? So <laughs> he, he's, he I made a mistake and during that, the game, that they pretty signed much sums up his, uh, pretty much sums up his performance, doesn't it? That they, they felt the desperation to sign one even during the game. So I think that was, that was probably the worst of the two. Um, I can't believe that the referee only gave a yellow card for Christensen first off. I know. It was absolutely a ridiculous decision. It was quite, you know, I was watching it and quite clearly it was a red. And um, yeah, I, I saw one of the rugby league teams actually, they've tweeted saying that if Christensen wants to uh, come and have a trial, he'd be more than welcome. Do they pay a transfer fee? <laughs> no, it'd have to be on a free, I think. Yeah, don't worry. Uh, brilliant pressing from Liverpool and they work exactly on that, don't they? You can see that that is something they worked on at Melwood and it's something that Sadio Mane touched upon afterwards, Alex Crook. Yeah, and it was as we we talked about in, in the midweek podcast that it would be a very different game from both of their opening matches when Chelsea were quite free-flowing against Brighton and, and Liverpool obviously got involved in the shootout against Leeds. It was good game management from Jurgen Klopp. They were tighter defensively. They exploited those obvious weaknesses in the, in the Chelsea back line. I'm not going to um, pick on Kepa because I'm a bit reticent to kick a man when he's down and his confidence is absolutely through the floor at the moment. And in his defence, Frank Lampard should probably have taken him out of the firing line. He shouldn't have started the season. He should have played Kepa yet. pretty quick to hammer Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, Krugge, when he's down. <laughs> we'll come on to that later. But don't you agree, Matt, that it's a strange one when everybody knows that he's going to be replaced as number one. So why not just play Caballero for these opening matches where you get the new number one over the line? Well, um, he, he, he was shaking the Brighton game. <laughs> so it, it was quite obvious to me that he, he shouldn't have been selected for, for this one against uh, Liverpool. 
Um, as I say, his brain just looks scrambled. He knows he's not going to be in goal the rest of the season, so it, it would have been best leaving him out. He won't ever play again. But Crook is absolutely right. The problem is he should never have played again after the end of last season. He's clearly got no confidence. He can't hack it. So Frank Lampard actually might be to blame here for not picking basically anybody else. I mean, it's either that or he's playing a delicate political game where he's trying to play Kepper Aritha Balaga to ensure that his value doesn't drop too significantly so that he could help possibly the board to push him on to pastures new over the next couple of weeks or at least retain some sort of semblance of credibility so that somebody will loan him and pay some of his wages but if that was the case prior to today's game it certainly backfired because Scott Carson's now worth more than him <laughs> I was going to say it's not added pounds to his transfer value but it's interesting you know we talk about Frank Lampard and there was a an animated Chelsea fan on, on the sports bar after they won at Brighton and actually the scoreline flattered Chelsea suggesting that maybe when it comes to tactics, Frank Lampard has a bit to learn. And I do wonder if that could be their Achilles heel this season. They've got fantastic players going forward. But does Frank Lampard know how to set his team up to be difficult to beat defensively? Well, clearly they've won big games. They beat Manchester City at home towards the end of last season in what was a pivotal game in who won the title. So I would say that there are indications that that is the case. He's still a young manager who hasn't had too many experiences in the job. He's only his third year, third season as a manager beginning now. But certainly, I must admit, once they went down to 10 men, why they insisted on trying to play out from the back, which would invite the press from Liverpool, which they want to do, Matt Holland is beyond me because if you if you keep playing a way which your opponents are going to thrive upon, trying to play your way out the back with 11 men is difficult against Liverpool. With 10, I mean, you're asking for trouble, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Just going back to, to Crookie's point, though, and, and the way that he set his team up, I, I actually felt like he'd set his team up to be quite defensive, really, against well, They Liverpool. were in the game until the sending off. Well, they were in the game until then, but, the, but you look at his midfield three, you know, Kante, Jorginho, Kovacic. Mm. And the way he set his team up with the two wider forwards and, and Havertz in that sort of false nine position, you know, he, he set a team up to try and be defensive. Um, the problem is he's got two fullbacks who are better in a in a back five. Yeah. Both Reese James and Alonso look better when he plays a back five. But I, I certainly think that, you know, Alonso's not a fullback, he's a wing back. Reese James, I think he's better. How has Piliqueta wasn't playing instead of Alonso? I've got no idea. And how Olivier Giroud can't get some game time as well. The way he finished last season after lockdown, I thought he was exceptional. And today, the way that Liverpool were pressing, Chelsea at times needed to... You you just talked about playing short. They need to bypass that press at times. And someone like Giroud would have been very useful in that. Uh, Do you buy into the narrative that with all the players out that Chelsea had, obviously they didn't have Mendy, Pulisic, Chilwell, Silva... Ziesch available. Havertz only just turned up. Werner's getting into his stride. Do you buy the narrative that without the red card, if they'd scored the penalty, things might have been different and actually that would have been a little bit of a triumph for, for Frank Lampard's team? Possibly. It's gonna, it's gonna look, Chelsea's team's going to look very different in a month's time. It's not, it's not going to look like that. The, the team that started the game today against Liverpool. It will look very different. We're, judge it, we're judging them a little bit on, on what we've seen today. But... Certainly Liverpool is still streets ahead of them. Okay, let's talk about Liverpool. I said two weeks ago, um, and Crook and I agreed on this when we were previewing the season, that actually the idea that Liverpool were going into the campaign 
without new faces worried me a little bit. They've certainly rectified that over the weekend by signing not only Thiago Alcantara from Bayern Munich, but also Diego Jota. And uh, unlike Chelsea's two German imports, the man who won the title in Germany last season didn't take too long to settle in, did he? I mean, he came on at half-time and he looked like he'd been playing in the Premier League for quite some while, Crookie. Didn't he set a record for the most completed passes in <laughs> one half of football? I think he did, by the way. Um, listen, he's a class act, Thiago. Oh, fantastic. And he, he will strengthen any team. And I think not just on the pitch, but his character in the dressing room, he's a winner. The Yotta one was a bit of a surprise. Not so much that they've signed him because he is a, a typical Jurgen Klopp player. He's full of energy. He always gives you 110%. But £41 million rising to 45 for someone who you, you can only really see being a squad player was quite an un-Klopp-like signing, I thought, Matt. I honestly think it's a terrific signing. You know, what they had what they had in reserve in those positions wasn't good enough. So they needed, they needed reinforcements. Jota knows the Premier League. He's someone I, if I was a manager in the Premier League, I'd have gone and tried. If I was one of the top managers, I would have gone out and got him. Um, you're right. He might not play every week, but how fortunate were Liverpool with injuries last season? Yeah. The fact that Salah, Mane, Firmino stayed fit all year. As soon as they pick, if they pick an injury up now, they've got a ready-made replacement. So I, I think it, I thought it was a, a terrific piece of business from, from Liverpool. I appreciate that Liverpool played very well in the game. I think they've got a terrific manager. Their organisation is excellent. The attitude and the work rate was brilliant today as well. And Sadio Mane's header was nothing short of magnificent. It was just a brilliant, brilliant goal. And uh, he deserves credit for that. Um, but obviously, looking at the way that Chelsea approached the match, you can't get too down about it if you're a Chelsea fan, I think, because you know that, as you said, it's going to change so significantly over the course of the next few weeks. And if I, if I was sceptical that they might go in for Declan Rice uh, before today, I think I'm pretty sure now that they'll move heaven and earth to try and get that deal uh, done. Um, look, there's always someone else worse off than you. So let's get to Southampton against Tottenham. Breaking forward down the left-hand side with Son Heung-min early into the penalty area. And Doherty arriving on the scene. Keeps the move alive and Harry Kane scores! And the referee is going to disallow the goal. It is an offside against Son. Lloris comes outside his penalty area and strokes it goalwards and scores for Southampton. Hugo Lloris, oh, the flag is up again on the near side. And it looks to be as if he has given a free kick in Tottenham Hotspur's favour. He certainly hasn't given the goal. Tottenham coming forward again. Lucas in towards Kane, who scores again. But the flag goes up again. And I think it was Lucas who was offside into Ings inside the penalty area. And this time, Danny Ings does score. One touch to control. The next to dispatch, an angled shot across Lloris. Kane coming forward early in towards Son. Goalkeeper thought about it and went back and Son with a shot has equalised. Hooked in from an angle by Son Heung-min. Son coming forward again for Tottenham has got another chance and Son has scored again. Either side of half-time, Son Heung-min has struck and Tottenham lead at Southampton. Kane forward towards Son, breaking clear again on a hat-trick. Son Heung-min scores for Tottenham. 3-1 Spurs lead. Three goals for Son, and Son's in again, and has scored again! Four goals for Son Heung-min, four goals for Tottenham Hotspur. Lamella inside the Southampton penalty area, trying to get in, and it's hit the post, and it's forced in by Harry Kane. He is going to give a penalty for handball. Because Doherty's arm is outstretched horizontally from his shoulder, but therefore it's in an unnatural position. Here goes Ings against Lloris and does score. An eye-catching scoreline of Southampton 2, Tottenham Hotspur 5.
Yes, Gareth Bale is back and Kane and Son showing us potentially how explosive this team could be with the uh, three of them up top. Five goals at St Mary's. A lot of people will take that line and we'll get to them a little bit later on because it was very impressive, especially in the second half from Tottenham Hotspur. I imagine that Jose Mourinho had one of his inspirational team talks at halftime where he says, (laughs) mentality, mentality, commitment, commitment. Come on, boys. Come on, boys. Together, boys. And that's about it. Um... But this is uh, three games, three defeats, three lacklustre performances uh, from Southampton. Ultimately, they're in the game up for the first 45 minutes, I thought. But after that, uh, I thought they were in trouble a little bit, Matt. thought they were the better team, first half. I thought they were, they, they were really unlucky to, to, to go in level. Because I thought in the first period, I thought they were brilliant. The goal from Danny Ings was exceptional. Yep. The way he's, yeah, I think there was one or two people blaming the goalkeeper. The way, he, the way he brought it down and, and was so quick to get the ball out of his feet and get his shot away, absolutely outstanding. Also, he bounces forward, it right? against the floor, doesn't he? Which takes it takes the goalkeeper out of the equation yeah. straight away. Yeah, I thought I thought he, he, his goal was superb. Um, and Southampton were the better team in the first half, but they played a ridiculously high line. Yep. And Southampton, uh, Spurs capitalised on that, worked out quite quickly that Kane dropping deep Southampton high and some running in behind was going to cause them problems. But once that happens once or even twice, surely you then adapt, don't you? Especially if you've got a tactical genius like Ralph Harson who's in, in, in charge, well, Crook. I was going to say that the sign of madness is if you keep making the same mistake over and over again and that they didn't learn their lessons, even in the first half um, with one or two of the uh, Tottenham chances that went begging. It was because they were playing a high line. I felt a bit sorry for Alex McCarthy who probably didn't cover himself in glory certainly for one of the goals but there was a massive gap between him and his back line actually McCarthy started to make a couple of mistakes because I think he feels with this new high line and it is a relatively new system that Harsnews has adopted he he almost has to play as the sweeper keeper and he's probably not quite good enough with the ball at his feet to do that the optimism that abounded St Mary's after the way Southampton finished last season post-lockdown has, has certainly been well and truly punctured when you consider they lost to Brentford Reserves in midweek and not only lost to Brentford Reserves, they were outplayed by Brentford Reserves. And a couple of cutting comments after that game, Ralph still basically said the players weren't fit. And after this game against Spurs, he said, we can't play much better than this with the players that I have. I was looking earlier, they gave Mark Hughes £74 million to spend. I think Ralph Harsenhustle has spent little over half of that. So he's certainly not been backed by the board. He needs to be because the squad's not deep enough. There's too many players there they're trying to shift on. It's still not his team. And I know Sam will jump on that, but he hasn't had the chance to sign players to make them better. They need another central midfielder. They probably need another central defender. And, and Shay Adams, for all his good work, he just can't finish chance. He can't finish his dinner, which is a problem. Haven't he and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer been in charge for a similar sort of time in their clubs? Um, with respect, Ralph Harsden, Hootel isn't in charge of one of the biggest clubs in the world, so there the comparisons will end. So me. so, so, it's not Harsden Hootel's team, but it is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's team? Ole Gunnar Solskjaer spent £240 million in the same time that Ralph has spent forty. Yeah, but he spent £80 million on Harry Maguire. Yeah, that, that's worked out really well. We'll get to this in just a second. Uh, four goals for Son Heung-min, 19-minute hat-trick, and then a fourth in, 73rd, in the 73rd minutes. A cracking collection of finishes too. And Harry Kane setting all four goals up before scoring himself. How important is that combination uh, to Tottenham Hotspur? Oh, absolutely top-class players, aren't they? And um, Mourinho's fortunate that he's got them in his ranks because yeah. as I say, I don't, I don't think they played particularly well against Southampton. Um, first half, they were awful. Second half exploited Southampton's high line, 
but they didn't play particularly well. But when you've got someone like Kane, the intelligence, the ability to drop deep and find his his partner in Son, uh, and you've got obviously Gareth Bale to add to this mix as well. But he's he's a few weeks away, of course, from fitness. He's fortunate that he's got them at his disposal. Okay, um, should we discuss handball? Because we saw a few of those in that game. Um, what does handball constitute? Because the law has changed. Um, let's just, uh, look. Martin Atkinson gave a penalty after going to the referee review area on Saturday night, and we'll get to Manchester United and Arsenal in just a second, where there were two incidents which could have been construed as handball. One was, one probably. Actually, one wasn't. One probably wasn't either, actually. Both probably shouldn't have been given. Uh, but Martin Atkinson awarded a handball against Victor Lindelof for basically running back towards his own goal and the ball hitting his hand. Now, I don't think Martin wants to give this penalty. He doesn't want to give it, but he feels as if the law has been rewritten and it gives him no choice. His arms are, with Lindelof are technically away from his body. It strikes the hand below the T-shirt line. That wasn't the case for Gabriel. It was on the T-shirt line. So the argument is... Is is that that could be given as handball? It could be in, it could be interpreted as handball under the new law. My argument is it's a natural running motion. It's still supposed to be a unnatural movement away from the body for it to be handball, whether accidental or not. And at some point in the running action, you 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 will have your hands outside your silhouette. Now the law states this: if a player touches the ball when the hand or arm has made their body unnaturally bigger, i.e., away from their body. Um, then it can be given as handball. So you can support the decision in a sense that it is it is bigger, but I don't think it's unnaturally show. I, I think is, it's, I think it's a shocking decision. Is distance still a factor? When I flick that ball up onto Lindelof, maximum three yards between them. Mm. When the ball hits Matt Doherty, there's a yard between the two yeah. players. It flicks onto Winks's boot and up onto his arm. His arm is slightly out. Lindelof is is in a running motion, as you say. And the Matt Doherty one is in the Southampton game. The penalty goes against him and Southampton score it. It's I, irrelevant to the scoreline because ultimately Spurs were over the hill and far away. I uh, tweeted straight away. I tweeted straight away. That cannot be a penalty. No. The fact that we're seeing it now, we're gonna you're going to see so many penalties for handball this season. You're going to see players... I, I, I remember Phil Neville saying to me that in La Liga, if it hits a hand, it's a penalty. End of story. And they're standardising that. That's what's happened. FIFA have taken... uh, The IFAB have um, got their protocol. FIFA have taken over the VAR protocol and they've tried to standardise it across the whole of the world. So they want to... They want what happens in La Liga to be the same as what happens in the Premier League. We're not used to that. What you see or what you see in in La Liga is players deliberately trying to flick the ball up onto people's hands to win a penalty. That's going to be exactly the same in the Premier League now. You're going to see players taking someone on in the box. It's tight. There's nowhere to go. What shall I do? I'll tell you what, I'll try and flick it up onto onto the uh, opponent's hand and try and win a penalty. That can't be right. Where's the T-shirt line on a long sleeve shirt? Well, it's the same, isn't it? It's, it's not a T-shirt line as in you're wearing Halfway. your T-shirt. It is as yeah. I've, 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 I think I sent you a, a diagram, which the diagram yeah. that I sent you was published by the International Football Association board, which is it is supposed to end. The, the T-shirt line is perpendicular with the end of your armpit. Well, that cleared it up. <laughs> I suppose it depends how hairy your, your armpit is. I think we all agree that the law is an ass here. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you 
everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides, and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Uh, right, that leads us nicely on to Saturday night. Defeat for Manchester United and a win for Arsenal. Uh, Matt and Crook, you, you were both at the game involving Arsenal. We'll get to that in just a second. Crook, we've seen your rant on social media about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, the basic premise of which uh, is pretty clear. You don't think he has the tactical acumen to be the manager of Manchester United. It is worth pointing out that they have had 34 days between their third semi-final of last season um, and they're one pre-season friendly. But, um, Matt, do you think that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is constantly a victim of harping back to the good old days when Manchester United were winning titles and people were thinking, oh, we should have turned it round by now, when really and truly, in order to alter the approach, the playing roster of such a huge monolithic giant of a club, it's going to take several years in order to get them back to where they were at the top of the game. They were miles away. They were, they've been miles away. Um, even last season, finishing third, it sort of masks a multitude of problems uh, on and off the pitch. Um, I just, just going on Crookie's rant a little bit, because I, I would like to defend Ole Gunnar Solskjaer a little bit yeah. in the fact that you can't compare United and Crystal Palace's fitness levels at this stage of the season. When Crystal Palace have had four pre-season games and three competitive matches... United have had one pre-season game against Aston Villa. It, it, it's ridiculous to, to try and think that United can be at the level that Crystal Palace were. So that's the first thing I'd say. I think you also said in the rant that Wan-Bissaka should have played, Greenwood should have played. Look, of course, if you're picking your best 11, Wan-Bissaka would be in it, Greenwood would be in it right now. But we don't know what's going on on the training ground. We don't know how fit those players are. We don't know how, the mental state of Mason Greenwood with what's go, been going on. You know, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and his coaching staff have to assess all those things and decide whether those players are ready to play in the first 11. And they're he not purposely they going to leave out someone who scored 17 goals and is the best natural finisher at the club unless they have to. Unless there's a reason. Unless there's a reason. There must be, there must be a reason that he's decided... 
that he sh- he shouldn't be he shouldn't be selected from the start in that game. You know, Dan James has probably been at the club. He's done more training. He, he, he's a fit lad anyway. He's the, probably the fittest at the, at the football club. That's the reason why he's gone with him ahead of Mason Greenwood. So we, we're not privy to what goes on in the training ground and what, you know, the decisions that he has to make in that starting eleven. There's a lot of frustration about the place because signings-wise, it's just not been, you know, it's not been good enough. United's recruitment just has not been good enough. When you look at Liverpool, um, signing Thiago, terrific deal. Jota, nobody even spoke about it. And all of us, no one knew about Diogo Jota. And all of a sudden, the deal was done, signed, delivered. United, they're signing him, they're signing him, they're signing him. Everything's leaked left, right and centre. And, and, well, everything's and leaked, so- but nothing actually happens. And, and well, one of the key differences between Manchester United and Liverpool, and I spoke to this um, with Andy Cole on the Sunday session, I said to him, do they need Manchester United a Michael Edwards-type figure who sits there in his bunker at Anfield and he hunkers down with his group of scouts and his laptop and his spreadsheets and he identifies the players that will fit into the system. They've got this big list and then they know exactly who they want to go and get. They know what price is the right value for that player and then they go and get them at that price or they don't get them at all. Well, do you not think United do that? Well, clearly they don't do it as well. Well, There's two have... different debates, this, because I'm not saying that the Glazers and Edward Wood are not to blame, but I think it can be both. You can have a poor chief executive and poor owners and a poor manager. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has been there two years. Yes, he got United to three semi-finals. They lost them all, and they should have beaten Sevilla. They didn't. The, the problem, and, and Palace exploited it perfectly, is if you give United the ball, then they find it very hard to beat you. That he's was still, the case in the early part of last season. Correct. And it was the case at the end of last season against Sevilla and maybe even against Copenhagen. But it wasn't the case for six months in between. When Bruno Fernandes was at his absolute pomp, but there's too much pressure on him. Um, and again, Palace kept him really quiet. My, my view is Roy Hodgson is not classed as an elite level manager. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is managing an elite club, therefore he should be an elite level manager. Hodgson got his game plan spot on and it was executed to perfection. Can Solskjaer, does he have the capability to do the same thing? Listen, no, in my opinion. The, di- the difference there, I mean, how much easier is it to set a team up to be defensively organised and hit on the counter-attack? How much easier is that to, to, to say, we're going to have 25% of the ball, we'll, we'll soak up all the pressure, we'll, we'll be deep, we've got Zaha, we've got Ayu, we've got Townsend, when we win it, we can break, we can go... Or are you a team with 70% of the ball trying to break down two two banks of four? Two banks what of four? You? I mean, it was two banks yeah. of four and two forwards coming back to help out in midfield as well. So, it was really difficult. And also, the other thing you've got to remember is, is you can talk about elite managers all you like, but you had two managers in the build-up to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer taking over, two managers of an elite level that changed the game over the last 20 years in Louis van Gaal, who took a team just weeks before to the World Cup semi-finals, and Jose Mourinho. And that didn't make too much difference. So it tends to suggest that there's deeper problems than just the frontline coaching. I agree with that. It made a bit of a difference because they both won trophies. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's been there two years. He hasn't won a trophy and he had plenty of opportunity last season to do so in those semi-finals. They didn't turn up against Chelsea. They were outmaneuvered against Sevilla. So when when does he start to be judged? Because the whole premise of my argument on Darren Bent's boot room was that all the time the owners are the ones getting the flack from the supporters. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer almost gets a free ride and I don't think that's right. 
Okay, well, let's uh, talk about Crystal Palace, and we should praise them. Matt, uh, in particular, I think you've already mentioned James McCarthy and, and, and James MacArthur, who were fantastic, I thought. Absolutely brilliant in midfield, spoiling all over the place, sitting in front of the back four, protecting Sacco, who'd only trained twice, I think, prior to the start of the game and somehow got through 90 minutes and was very good. And I think it's worth pointing out that Roy Hodgson obviously has a a bit of a reputation, doesn't necessarily always uh, float everybody's boat, didn't float the Liverpool supporters' boat. But Steve McLaren said to me in commentary, Matt, it was a basically a Roy masterclass. It was, it was. I mean, it, listen, I wouldn't, want a, I wouldn't want a season ticket watching Roy Hodgson's <laughs> Crystal Palace team if I'm, if I'm being brutally I honest. I spoke to a season ticket holder who said the same thing today. <laughs> I'm being, if I'm being brutally honest, I wouldn't want my season. If I had you know, one club I could go and get a season ticket at in the Premier League, it wouldn't be Crystal Palace. <laughs> it, it just wouldn't. Because um, I wouldn't enjoy watching that type of football week in, week out. But they do it brilliantly. And, and you know, it does require every single person in that it starting 11 to buy into what Roy Hodgson's asking you to do. And the two wide players were exceptional in that. Um, do, I mean, you might remember Matthew Edmonton, I think, said Tony Pulis took about three years off his career because of the work that he had to do in a wide position for Stoke City. Yeah. Well, it's a bit like that. It's a bit like that in that Crystal Palace team. In which You're case, required... Will Sahar is probably going to retire soon. Well, he's, that's why he's playing up front. <laughs> <laughs> that's why he doesn't want. That's why he doesn't want to particularly play um, in, in a wide position because, and that's why Roy doesn't play him necessarily in, in that wide position and gives him that freer role because he doesn't want to do that side of the game and. He's so dangerous going the other way as well. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think Roy got it absolutely spot on, but it requires every single person to be at it hundred percent every game. Um, let's uh, turn our attention to Arsenal against West Ham United. Crook, you were there. Was it great winning mentality that got Arsenal over the line? Great character and desire to go and win the game, or pure luck that got them three points? Probably a combination of the two, um, but. Even the best sides need a bit of luck from time to time. West Ham did have a couple of guilt-edged opportunities. The header from Antonio off the bar and the one that he couldn't quite scramble home from inside the six-yard box. They played really well, West Ham. Um, And I think credit to David Moyes for galvanising them, not just after the defeat at home to Newcastle when they were really poor, but also with everything that's going on behind the scenes. When I arrived at the Emirates Stadium, there were West Ham fans who'd even made the trip to put up a banner protesting against the board. So they have plenty of excuses. They've got a torturous run haven't they they've got uh, that was the first of six matches in a row against teams who finished in the top eight last season so I think West Ham are going to need to show plenty of character themselves but it was an unarsenal like performance in that if Unai Emery was still in charge and maybe if Arsene Wenger was still in charge I'm not sure they would have found a way to get over the winning line I spoke to Mikel Arteta afterwards first time he broke into a smile was at full time because he, he knew his team were under the cost for much of the game but he said they have this mentality now and with every scrappy win they can grind out it just builds belief and builds confidence I do think he is uh, on the verge of achieving something there now Andrew Butler is here for Dream Team and the Game Day podcasters are in a special mini league uh, this year but Andrew can you just educate me a little bit because Dream Team works a little bit differently doesn't it to other games in that I have a starting 11 but no subs I can make transfers what every week five is that right how does it work tell me Five transfers a month. Uh, the game gets locked out from Friday to Thursday, so you can only make them. Um, uh, you know, the game we works from Friday to Thursday because we take into account 
all the games from the Premier League to the domestic cups and the European competitions. So um, this week we've got the Carabao Cup and Spurs have got the Carabao Cup and the Europa League and the Premier League. But, uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, that's some good points in the bank for any Spurs players that uh, might be brave enough to, to play all three games, which I, I doubt they will. But uh, five transfers a month. And, uh, well, you've got until the end of the month, obviously. We've only had a couple of game weeks so far. So if you do need to start making wholesale changes because you've made a couple of errors uh, from the start of the season, now is probably the time to do it. Well, I included Pepe and he just never plays. It's so annoying. <laughs> he's like the record signing for Arsenal, but he's always on the bench and it's just irritating me. Yeah, you've got Pepe and uh, I had a look at your team earlier as well. Thanks. It's a shame about Rudiger, he didn't play either. Rudiger, well, no. That, not, not that was a bad thing, actually, because he got nil points, which is better than what he probably would have got if he'd played. Nick Pope's in there with minus three from, uh, from, their, right. from their game against Leicester. I also and, had and Harry Kai, Kane. And Kai Havertz as well, who's also... He got uh, North points. Play, so. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you, you might want to be making um, a couple of transfers. The good news for you, Sam, though, as you mentioned, uh, you've got Harry Kane in your team and actually you've risen up the ranks in the Game Day Podcast yes. League over the course of uh, this week. Um, you've gone up to 2,769th, up from 4,614th. So basically they've gone up 50%. Pretty much, yeah. And I don't even know I mean, how to play the game yet. I'm just, I'm a we, novice at this. A week-on-week increase of 50% in any business sense would be, uh, would be impressive. Absolutely yeah. superb is what you're trying to say. Is Lucy still above me? Uh, she is. Oh. She's up from uh, 2,859th with uh, up to 2,333. Oh, so it's close. It's close. Uh, with only 75 points as well. So she's only four points ahead of you. Yeah, uh, I'm coming to get you. I'm coming but, to get you, Producer Lucy. Uh, and, and if you're interested, uh, I'm 915th with 93 Not really, because that's just showing off, really, to be honest. <laughs> it's my job. It is my job. Um, <laughs> just not, talk to us. Not really showing off when you're 900 or something, <laughs> is it? Well, you, sorry, hold on. Are you in the league? Are you in the league? I was, I was too busy. Too busy. Too busy. Or you couldn't work the tech. Which one was it? <laughs> you can still enter a team, Crookie. Oh, can that's I? good. So enter like yeah, you can, yeah. How embarrassing would that be if I entered my team and finished above you all? Well, why don't you try it? I will. Oh, when I've got some time on my hands. Oh, you're so busy and so important <laughs> nowadays. Uh, Talksport transfer guru Alex Crook. Uh, let's talk about some of the uh, players that uh, were big scorers this week. Who's the top scorer in the uh, whole thing? Let me guess, yeah. Son. It's not Sun. Well, Sun was it was this week's yeah twenty eight points from uh, Sun Hyun Min, and uh, twenty eight points also for Dominic Calvert Lewin, who has got this season off to an absolute fly. He's the top scorer overall with thirty six points, and um, I remember about probably this time last year, maybe a little bit later on in the season, where I said I'm not really convinced by Dominic Calvert Lewin. I don't really see what he does, and now I've got a good memory when it comes to poor predictions but I also say that he's improved in the last 12 months um, obviously it's a big week for you isn't it because um, you can't go but Leighton Orient are playing Tottenham Hotspur and it's what you've always wanted there is Leighton Orient paraphernalia in my room as you can see I know the listeners won't be able to see it but if you could describe my bedroom it would be a student's bedroom covered with Leighton Orient gear um, Orient plays Spurs on Tuesday evening Um and uh, yeah, uh, and I'm very, very excited. I'm speechless, actually. Um, because... Some might say that this, uh, that team might need some Leighton Orient gear in order to beat uh, Tottenham. <laughs> Deli Alley plays. And actually, funnily enough, um, it's interesting that we mentioned Lucy, the producer of Lucy's team, because she has Deli Alley in her team. And, uh, and well, at least someone does. <laughs> 
<laughs> he will be playing against Orient. Uh, he might get some points. I, I, I obviously did a little bit of research because it was Orient-based. The last time he played against Orient was for MK Dons in 2015 and he got on a goal and an assist. Okay, uh, Matt, who, who else should we be looking out for this week, do you think, over the course of the next seven days in terms of people who potentially could score a lot of points? Oh, good question. It's, it's difficult to know, actually, because there's so many changes when it comes to the cup competitions. You know, most of the, the Premier League sides rotate, don't they? So it's, it's really difficult to predict uh, who's going to get lots of game time. Uh, well, Man United, I think, need a response, don't they, after their disappointing result against Crystal Palace. So uh, maybe Martial, Rashford, Bruno Fernandes, um, maybe those three. Yeah, and obviously they've got Luton away in the cup as well. So you expect if if they play, they they should be scoring points because they should put Luton to bed. Um, you'd you'd hope. Um, and then obviously next week they've got Brighton away, who've obviously made a pretty good start to the season. Brighton were very impressive against Newcastle, but um, yeah, it's a decent shout. Okay, cheers. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Sam. When Wolves met Manchester City just after Christmas, they produced one of the most thrilling games of the campaign. I was lucky enough to be commentating on that when Doherty scored that late goal. There was a red card in that game too. Sterling was magnificent, non-stop entertainment. Uh, Are we expecting City to come out as slowly as their Manchester rivals or this to be a hammer and tong from the off, Matt Holland? Don't know. We just we just don't know. Yeah, it's is the, the truth, it, isn't I mean, it? We the, don't. That's the bottom line. We just don't know what Man City will will come out of the blocks. You know, Wolves beat them home and away. I think last season. Yeah, they're looking um, for three so, in a row against them, aren't they? Yeah. So uh, you know, it's it's a really difficult opening fixture for City. No Laporte. Uh, looks like Ake is going to play. Um, I, I I just don't know. You know, if, if, are we are we going to see a, a performance like we saw from uh, Man United? A, a lethargic, a slow performance. I doubt it. I think we'll see. I think we'll see a better performance um, and a more energetic performance from Man City. But the, but the honest answer is, I'm not sure what we'll see. Uh, Wolves have sold Doherty, Jota. They've lost Johnny to injury as well. It's meant that Adama Traore has played as a right wing back so far this season. Crook, is that the best place for him? No, probably not. In all honesty, but it's it's needs must, isn't it? They're um, they're signing Nelson Semedo from Barcelona, which looks a really exciting signing and a, a definite upgrade on Doherty. So you have to give them credit because I think there were a few worry Wolves fans as, as players started to leave Doherty and, and Jota, and they were wondering if Jimenez would stay. But they're reinvesting in the team. They're using that relationship with uh, George Mendes once again. So I think they're going to have another good season. But in answer to your question, Traore for me is is much more effective when he plays further forward and I think he will do that once this signing comes in but it also it's a it's a big ask for him defensively if he's going to play as a wing back against Manchester City he's going to need to stay really switched on and disciplined for the entire 90 minutes it only takes one mistake and suddenly the ball will be in the back of the net uh, Spain winger Ferran Torres came in from Valencia for Manchester City he's got the number 21 shirt he's a massive David Silva fan a massive Valencia fan he worships Pep he scored for Spain on only his second appearance he knew he was getting a move to the Premier League so he hired a physical trainer to put on extra muscle four kilograms of it uh, he can play right false nine occasionally off the left what sort of role do you expect him to have because they've got a little bit of a problem in the forward areas in the fact that Sergio Aguero is probably not going to play for the first few weeks of the season Matt yeah I mean look we've seen with City uh, over the years how they can rotate bring players in and out the side and and I guess it'll be something similar in that respect I think Mares is is back available 
Um, so again, you, you're never quite sure what team and, and what selection Pep Guardiola is going to make. But there's always they've got so much strength in depth that there's always that rotation and ability to make changes game in game out. So that that isn't a problem for for City. And and just on that. Who isn't a David Silver fan? I think we're all David Silver we're fans, aren't we? We're all David Silver fans. We love David Silver. Uh, Sheffield United lost their first game of the season inside the first 10 minutes uh, when they were beaten by Wolverhampton Wanderers. Villa haven't started their season yet in the Premier League, but Ollie Watkins has scored in the League Cup. I was at that game um, earlier in the the week when they played Burton. And uh, in a friendly over Manchester United, he scored as well. He looks hungry, Alex Crook. He does, and I think he's got a point to prove because there are a lot of people doubting if he can make the transition from the Championship to the Premier League, but that first competitive goal, and indeed the one the friendly against United will do in the world of good. I'm really excited to, to see Villa, um, particularly whether Martinez will come straight into the side. I'd imagine he probably will. Jack Grealish, having signed his new contract now, will be free to flourish because there'll be not so much speculation about his future. Sheffield United were always going to find it difficult this season, the second season syndrome, because they overachieved last season. They've recruited largely from the EFL this season. It's a bit of a gamble on Chris Wilder's part. And I suppose when you look at, we, we talked about Manchester United and Manchester City might be a bit undercooked. United certainly were. That won't be the case with Villa because they've had plenty of pre-season games. They've played in the Cup, so they yeah. should be able to come in and hit the ground running. Jack Grealish got a cracking goal that night in Burton. And uh, I did like the look of Ollie Watkins, although he missed another great chance from about seven yards out when he hit the crossbar. And he was furious with himself. But they've got a good batch of players now. They've just got to make sure they find the right blend. They found a defensive solidity at the end of last season with Dean Smith seemingly got a tune out of what looked before like a very porous back line. They've added another full back. They've added another left, uh, right back, sorry, another left back as well. So they've stiffened up in that area. And with a new goalkeeper too, if they can continue that trend of keeping teams out, they might have a more secure season than last. Uh, right, four games still to look at. Ahmed Rodriguez with the corner, high into the penalty area, and it's headed in for number five, and it's a hat-trick for Dominic Calvert-Lewin. There it goes, a full-time whistle at Ellen Road. It's Leeds' first home win in the top flight since April the 5th, 2004. Squeezed it through to uh, Zaha, who squeezed the ball under David De Gea, and there's no doubt about it now. Conclusion is not good enough, we have to improve quickly. Tobias pulls it back across the area and it's been turned in by Eddie Nketiah. Arsenal back in front with less than five minutes remaining. And that's beautifully played and Son's in again and has scored again. Four goals for Son Heung-min, four goals for Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, very proud to score the four goals in the, in the Premier League, obviously. It's, uh, it's a very special, even when I was a youth team, I didn't score four goals. Big style win though for Brighton, they'll enjoy the journey home. Three good goals as well. It's finished here. Newcastle nil, Brighton three. The referee blows the whistle. There's a handshake from Klopp and Lampard. They embrace, but it's Liverpool who go with the points here. Two goals in the second half in three second half minutes from Sadio Mane. The first header after a good ball in by Firmino. The second after a goalkeeping howler by Kepa. What is going on in the Premier League this weekend? And indeed, at the start of this season, it's now Leicester four, Burnley two. So many goals. Sunday Funday saw wins for Leicester City and Brighton, who impressed me on Sunday against Newcastle. Tarek Lamptey got a lot of praise last Monday night, um, and he got a lot this 
weekend as well because he's a fine, isn't he, Matt? I mean, Chelsea haven't really got enough expertise in their back line to let this fella go for four million quid. I'm sorry, but I think that's an oversight. Even if you decide to move James into a centre-back position, a right centre-back position and play a three, or play him in midfield as he did for Wigan last season, and he's done actually in that game against Brighton on Monday night, this kid defends. I mean, he's great at tackling, he reads it better. At the moment, he looks the brighter of the two prospects. That may change over time. There's not too many players put a naught on their value in the space of 12 months. I know. If you said he twelve was, months, two, I thought, two I thought games, it was three million. I thought it was three million, but it, say it for me. It, you know, he's a, you're talking about 30, 40 million pound player. The way he's playing at the moment, and, and I love his character. You know, listening to him post match and his humbleness and his willingness to learn and willingness to get better. It's not like he's he's arrived in the Premier League. He's doing quite well. He's getting some plaudits and it's gone to his head. This is a kid that wants to improve, wants yeah. to get better. You know, he's not he's not getting carried away with what he's doing. He, he wants to listen and learn and watch watch himself back. What can he improve on? What can he do better? I, I've been massively impressed with the, with the way he's playing, but also the way he conducts himself um, off the field as well and the fact that he is a player that wants to improve himself. Uh, what worried me about Newcastle was the reaction to conceding two goals so early in the game. They're lo- losing their heads all over the shop. St. Maximan with the tackle. What is he doing? Uh, Shelby diving in all over the shop. After such a positive start a week ago, I mean, it, it seemed to very quickly come crashing down around their ears, Alex. Yeah, it was a bit of a rude awakening as far as Steve Bruce was concerned because, as you say, we gave them a lot of plaudits for that win at West Ham. But I think we're going to see this a few times over the course of the season that a team that turn up and play well one week will get turned over the next because I think if you go away from the top three or four sides, there's a lot of evenly matched teams. Yeah. You know, and on their day, if Brighton bring their A game, they're going to be a match for anybody. Same with Newcastle. But when those clubs are below par then they could well be there for the taking. It's going to make for a fascinating season. I think that's also why we're seeing so many goals. Uh, We saw a lot of goals in the Leicester game as well. They look very well organised to me after beating Burnley on Sunday night, playing out from the back through the pitch. A very well-drilled outfit, Matt. Yeah, yeah, good good performance from them. Um, One or two worries defensively, I think. You know, they they weren't perfect defensively, but going forward, they look like they're going to score plenty of goals. They've got options. Madison off the bench. Um, yeah, they're in for another. They're in for another good season, I think. Yeah, Justin playing uh, at left back instead of right back, and cutting in on his right foot and scoring a goal. I mean, it's a it's a fantastic use of him. He, he's not naturally a left full back. He is a right full back, really. But they haven't got a left full back, have they? They've brought Castagna in, and actually, we thought he might play there instead of Chilwell, who's been sold on. But he's been operating on the right, and he's been having a good time too. What will please Brendan Rodgers is obviously they had a pretty torturous time in the second half of last season and with the short turnaround between seasons there was a fear I think that maybe that hangover could continue and they would make a poor start to the campaign but he's managed to regroup he's had to revamp the squad having lost Chilwell I agree with Matt Castagna looks real fine they're still trying to strengthen at the heart of defence as well they're looking at Jonathan Tarr at Bayer Leverkusen among others so he's, he's still revamping the squad so to start with 100% 100% maximum points will really please him. Uh, Burnley, uh, their squad is thinner than Goppy's original hair and the second batch, actually, <laughs> after a year or so. Uh, can you see uh, Sean Dyche sticking this out? Yeah, I don't know. Well, he's had a bit of a moan-up, hasn't he? I mean, you know, he sort of just said, you know, I haven't got enough fun. Well, he's so moaning. It's like, it's, like, it's like this every year. And, you know, at some point, he can't keep turning it around. That Eventually, look, we've seen it previously, if you don't end up recruiting properly in the end, you get relegated. That will happen. I think 
I think the likelihood was he, if he was going to go, it would have been in the summer. You know, I think that's that was the likelihood. Unless, of course, a team comes in for him two or three months into the season. Um, just hypothetically, West Ham sat the manager. Who should we go and get? Should we go and get Sean Dyche? Sean Dyche then might leave Burnley to go to mm. a West Ham. Potentially. <laughs> she um, likes him I'm as not- well, doesn't she, Karen Brady? Aren't they? There's a connection there somewhere. I'm not sacking David Moyes, by the way. Just don't don't <laughs> quote me on that. And and if it does happen, please. <laughs> Sorry, David. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I, I think there is a bit of frustration in the transfer market. He's saying we shouldn't have to sell to buy. And that's that's the position that he feels as though he's in at the moment. Because yeah. the, the West Ham are potentially trying to get Tarkovsky for them. I think they've had three bids turned down. Might take a little bit more. They might get him. Um, but he, he feels frustrated that they've got to sell first before he can bring players in. Our final two matches, the seven-goal thrillers at Ellen Road and Goodison Park from Saturday. Bamford was on your show um, with you, Crook, on Sunday night. What did he have to say? Well, obviously, he's absolutely buzzing. And um, I did make the point, and I'm interested to get Matt's view on this. We, we, we talk quite a lot about players who are perceived as being too good for the championship but not quite good enough for the Premier League. In Patrick Bamford, have we found the opposite of that? Is he perhaps better suited to Premier League football than he is in the Championship? Because a bit more time, a bit more space, possibly. I've seen it at Bournemouth with the likes of Dan Gosling and Junior Stanislas, who didn't really put up any trees in the second tier. But then when Bournemouth became a Premier League club, suddenly they started to look really good footballers. It's a good question. He I mean, wasn't exactly prolific, was he, in, in the Championship? No, um, he, was the, and, and he had the worst conversion rate of any striker who scored more than 15 goals with 12.8% last season. But... When Bielsa picks you every week, yeah, there's a reason, there's a reason why he picks you every week. You know, people might say, Firmino doesn't score as many goals as, as perhaps he should do in that Liverpool front three. But what he does, he brings out the best in Salah and Mane around him. And I think Bamford's got that intelligence as well. I'm not saying he's as good as Firmino, but I'm saying he's that type of player who's who's you know, clever. He knows, he knows where the position's to pick up. He knows when to drop off. He knows when to spin in behind. Um... So, yeah, I, I, I'm a big fan of his. Um, he got me more points than Firmino in my fantasy team this week. Well, whether he'll play whether he'll play every game this season, time will tell, like Firmino does for Liverpool. But clearly, when Bielsa picks you every week, as he did last season, there's a reason why. Um, Leeds win games. They will lose games as well. What they won't do is bore you uh, over the course of a season. They're very entertaining. Everton were good to watch as well. I like James Rodriguez. Quality, quality, quality whenever he's on the ball. And ain't no mountain high enough. DCL delivers like DHL. Can we say it again? Can we say it again, Crookie? <laughs> you love Dominic Calvert-Lewin, don't you? I do, I Listen, love Dominic Calvert-Lewin. I, I love him as well because he was in my fantasy team at the weekend and I think he's in an Everton team now that are going to create bags of chances. Sometimes he needs bags of chances because he missed a really um, easy opportunity ahead of early in the game, but he didn't let it knock him down. He came back and he scored the hat-trick. I think he's got that European Championship place very much in his sights and much like Leeds, really, I think they're still going to concede goals and we've seen that already um, with, with the chances that they afforded West Bromwich Albion but they're going to be very entertaining to watch I think that's all Everton fans really ask for they spent a lot of money their owners some of it in the wrong places they haven't really closed the gap on the top six as they would have liked but I think in Carlo Ancelotti I use that phrase again they have an elite manager and they're upwardly mobile now no question um, Am I allowed to talk about the sending off of uh, Slaven Bilic or are you going to give me the old Mike Dean talk to the hand because the face ain't listening <laughs> what a ridiculous sending off <laughs> what 
a ridiculous sending off. I mean, Slaven Bilic has gone over looking for answers and trying to speak in a, a calm manner. It wasn't shouting at him. He wasn't ridiculously going off he his head. He has got that sort of curmudgeonly demeanour, which we, you, you sort of have to get. But you know that. If you, if you know Slaven Bilic, which he should do, because you have to know your players as a referee, you have to know your, your managers too. He has got a little bit of that about him. He's a bit grumpy looking. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. But at the same time, have a bit of common sense. Yeah, totally. Yeah, just, just that's the that's what I'd say. You know, re- referees get criticised enough for not perhaps sometimes showing enough common sense or um, just just understanding a situation. Well, you can bet that Savan Bilic, you could understand why he was so frustrated. So surely, just show a little bit of, of patience with him. Uh, right, OK, that's it from us. We're off to uh, learn... Uh, how to run with our hands inside our pockets. So if you see us on social media later in the week and I've broke my already once replaced nose and Crook looks more handsome than ever, you know that we fouled and (laughs) fell over uh, badly. Uh, So we'll see you on Thursday evening for Game Day's preview pod. Thank you very much to Matt Holland and to Alex Crook. We'll see you soon. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.